Well, hello, and welcome to episode 24 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle. It's a Seattle Mariners podcast. I am Evan James, joined by Mike Iaheto today, and we will be diving into the Seattle Mariners and the recently passed trade deadline and the quest for a second wild card. Um, Mikey, this was a pretty intense trade deadline. There was a lot of really big names moved around, although the Mariners kind of, it, it feels like, operated more on the smaller scale. Um, tell us a little bit about some of your favorite trades, but also what do you think of the, what the Mariners did and how consequential it might be moving forward? Yeah, I was a pretty big fan, honestly, of all of them. And I think this is going to be a kind of um, an unpopular take, probably, uh, because of the optics. But I think my favorite's got to be the Graveman trade. Um, to be able to leverage two or three months of a reliever, a 31-year-old reliever, and turn it into a 24-year-old player who can probably start at third base uh, is pretty good. So I think I think that's probably number one for me. Um, the Castillo trade is, is probably next. And then the, the Tyler Anderson trade, we gave up pretty much nothing. So... I really like what we did overall. It is disappointing just that we didn't do something a little splashier or, or maybe, you know, make one more trade, add one more bat, whatever. Um, but I I think we're better, you know, a better current team and future team after this headline. So I think that's all you can ask for. Let me ask you this. I think that some of the reaction to the trades was a little more negative, like you said, because we didn't get any big names. But I kind of disagree with that. I think that Toro actually is a pretty big name. He was really up until last year or so a pretty high rated prospect, um, a prospect darling within you know analytical circles in particular. Um, what do you see from him that gets you excited? Because I know that you and I are on the same page that he's a pretty interesting prospect. And especially considering that he may be replacing Seager going forward as soon as next year. Um, it feels like he's going to be here a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think for most, not most people, but, uh, a lot of analysts I really respect really think that at Toro is has been, you know, um, kind of a breakout candidate. And, um, you know, I, I think that he can play good enough defense at third base. I think he is probably the best fit there, um, as opposed to second base or first base even. Um, but I think he's going to hit. And right now he's really had an issue, um, just hitting too many fly balls, which, you know, sometimes isn't necessarily a bad thing, but his fly balls are high fly balls. Like they're 40 to 50 degree launch angle, um, you know, batted balls, which aren't ever going to net base hits, really. Like maybe they'll fly out of the park, but they're going to end, uh, end up um, fly outs a lot of the time. So... I think really we just want to see more consistent uh, contact quality out of him. And, you know, so far so good. I think it's um, it's obviously only three games, but he's been really good for the Mariners so far. So um, I'll have to go in and take a look, see if he's 
you know, especially like after we have more of a sample, but see if anything has changed, if he's made any tweaks. But um, I think on the whole, it's it's uh, good contact skills, good enough power. Um, he can run a little bit, uh, good enough fielding, and then you know he's he's got pretty strong plate discipline skills. So the floor is is pretty strong if you ask me. Um, but I, I think he has a little bit of upside too. So maybe, maybe a, a, a Ty France is kind of something that you will hope for out of him. I would take a Ty France in a heartbeat, although yeah. obviously he has better defense. It's interesting to note that he does already have one of the better WRC pluses on the team. I, yesterday it was 105. I think that was before the game. Um, and he went three for four, I believe. So it's better now. Um, I want to say he's something like five for nine over his first three games at the Mariners with two home runs. So definitely putting up a really good first impression. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, I like him. I think that it was just, it was a really good trade and without getting too much into Graveman and, you know, kind of the reaction to that, it sure feels like, and I should say it felt like last night when I was watching the game that the team turned the page that that Astros series was really, really hard, but you know, Jared hitting the home run and the team kind of rallying and and getting that good win last night really felt like it was them being back in the saddle, so to speak. Um, but I really want to ask you about Tyler Anderson, because I think the more I watch the Mariners, the more it feels like they're really going to need some of those innings coming up real soon. And he seems like he's here to soak innings. But I'm also wondering, is he actually good? What should we be looking for from Tyler Anderson? I love Tyler Anderson. He was uh, someone that over the offseason, we wrote a lot of, you know, we should sign this guy kind of pieces. And I really thought that we should have went ahead and and got him. Um, he is someone who has a pretty funky delivery um, and doesn't throw very hard. Um, but he's got a, 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 a fastball with, with a bunch of ride. And, um, it, it's just a pitch that he can throw a lot and rely on a lot. And he doesn't necessarily have secondaries that are super strong, but, um, he's, he's thrown his cutter more this year and it's, it's produced pretty good results for him. Um, he can also lean on his changeup and his curveball is pretty interesting to me, but he doesn't throw it um i think it's probably kind of a get me over pitch but you know to have a fastball that you can throw and produce you know an 11 percent swinging strike uh percentage is it's pretty good um so i'm super into him i the one thing that's happened this year is that um <clears throat> he started the year with his fastball um ride you know getting like 10 inches of ride and that's dropped about an inch. So he's lost about an inch of fastball ride, which um, is from him dropping his arm slot a lot. And it's it it seems like it's starting to come back a bit, but it's not up to where it was last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, uh, sometimes dropping your release point can be uh an indicator of of injury future injury or you know you being injured uh so that's something i guess to 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 monitor to maybe be a little worried about but at the end of the day um 
he throws his fastball for strikes and he has a cutter that he can throw for strikes as well. So um, it's definitely a, a super interesting for me. I'm really excited to watch him pitch. He reminds me a tiny bit of Chris Flexen when I'm just sitting here looking at his fan graphs page, like in a very general sense. Um, it's also interesting that his ERA, XERA, FIP, and XFIP are all basically exactly the same. They're all based more or less 4.3 or 4.4. So mm-hmm. it seems like there's not that much mystery in terms of kind of how we should expect him to perform. Um, and I want to tie this in a little bit to Logan Gilbert, who's had now two starts that are rougher than we've seen as of late. Um, and I'm wondering a lot how much more he's going to pitch this year. He's already way over whatever it was he pitched last year. I believe we don't have concrete numbers on last year because he was down at the alternate site. But my understanding, mm-hmm. based on what some of Jerry said you know, over a couple of places during the off season was that he threw about 40 innings. He's over <laughs> 70 now. So we're kind of reaching a threshold where he's throwing twice as much as he threw last year. Um, anecdotally within baseball, sometimes you'll hear GMs or people say something like you only want guys to go up about 30 or 40 innings a year in terms of step ups mm-hmm. um, for workloads. And so we're past that. So my question to you is, is Tyler Anderson here as kind of a stopgap for getting Dunn and Sheffield back, or is he more here to replace what we might be missing from Gilbert going forward? Um, and also, what would you do with Gilbert? Would you shut him down early? Would you put him on hard pitch limits? There are a couple of different ways to go about that. Yeah, um, it's weird because it's such a an inexact science, you know. Um, it's hard to know what the right thing to do is because you know the it's so mixed it depends on the player like we it's hard to you know you can't you can't throw guys into a um you know a treatment and control condition and (laughs) you know test out who gets hurt and who doesn't so honestly i don't know what the right answer is um i think if i were the mariners i would probably throw some sort of of limit on him per game. Um, I definitely wouldn't want him laboring out there, you know. Uh, even though they're technically in a playoff race, um, I mean, there was a game the other day, maybe last week, where he threw, I don't know, 30 pitches in an inning. Um, I don't think you want that. I don't think you want him going over 100. I think, yeah, instituting a pitch limit per every game is is the right way to go. Um, I think we might see the Mariners skipping some starts of his, um, potentially. But I think, I think they will let him go to the end of the year. I think he'll make it there one way or another. Um, I think it just depends on a how he looks, b how the Mariners um, are tracking. Uh, but I, I I think he's set up and you know in position to do so. It just it just kind of depends on um, you know where he's at in the next month or so. Yeah, and it's a tough thing because ultimately the only indicators of whether or not it was a good idea was did he get injured and did he pitch well and. <clears throat> that's not something you're going to be able to establish until something happens kind of. So um, I guess it's touch and go at this point. 
I'm wondering how interested in you, are you in Dunn and Sheffield coming back to the rotation? I'm sure that just given the way he pitched earlier this year, they're going to put Dunn back in. And we do need those innings anyway, and he needs them certainly. But Sheffield in particular, I'm still kind of, I don't know if I would say I don't believe the team. I have a hard time with the way he went down on the injury list. You know, every once in a while when a player is really bad and then they go on the IL, it, it, I believe that something's going on, but it's also one of those like emergency, like, man, we just got to get him out of there kind of things. And given that he threw like a couple of days later and his, his, you know, his injury timeline's been kind of weird. I don't know how to read into how injured he is versus how much he just was really bad. Um, Do you have kind of a feel for whether or not you think Sheffield was really, really injured and that was affecting him? Or have we just not seen a good version of him this year? And if he is going to come back and he is going to pitch meaningful innings, um, what do you make of that? And how do you expect that to go? Yeah, I initially, you know, when I saw the news come out that he was hurt, I was, I kind of laughed because I was like, I I think this is a a phantom injury. Um, And, you know, it it came out that he had, I don't even remember what it was, an oblique injury and and something else. Um, Maybe some inflammation. I'll I'll look it up right now. Um, But I think he just wasn't very good good um i mean aside from you know like pitch location there isn't i don't think if he was as good as he was last year and obviously um there was a little luck baked into that i don't think he should have been as bad as he was you know this year but at the end of the day you know a guy that doesn't have good command doesn't throw hard his pitches don't separate from each other Um, I don't know that he has really any of the pieces to be a starting pitcher. Uh, when he had, you know, a plus slider in 2019, it was like, yeah, um, I think, I think this could work. I think anyone with that good of a pitch can make it work. Um, but yeah, he's just really regressed since moving or reverted i guess um since moving to a sinker so um i think he would be much much more suited in the bullpen and for for dunn i think yeah we want those innings um maybe go to a six-man rotation um but i don't think you can fit both of them and i don't i don't know who would be the odd man out because everyone is pitching somewhat well uh and Tyler Anderson, you know, figures to be kind of the the veteran uh, innings eater. So um, I think that Sheffield goes to the bullpen. Dunn probably goes back to the rotation. But I, I think they're both most well-suited for bullpen time. I've asked you this before, but how come teams don't do back-to-back starts? And I come from the DJ world, so like B2B sets is a big thing. And last year and really the last couple of years, they've done like the whole starter, opener, headliner thing, um, you know, like with Tampa Bay throwing out a relief pitcher before the starter and stuff like that. Um, But when I think about what to do with this situation, um, you know, in particular with like Gilbert, if they only want to have him go out and throw 50 pitches, why not? you know, do a back-to-back with Sheffield because you don't really want him throwing 100 pitches at this point either. And he hasn't been able to get through the fifth inning at any point. So 
how come they don't mix and match starters a little bit like that, especially given that it feels like at this point they have seven guys ish that they want to be starters um, in some context. And they're also running up into injury issues and innings limitations. So why isn't that a strategy that they use? I would think that a lot of it has to do with every time you go through the order, um, you know, batters pick up on pitchers more and more like the advantage obviously goes to hitters and the penalty isn't as bad going through the second time as the third time. Um, but it's still, you know, there, I think there's still a little bit of a penalty. So, um, you know, I think really for hitters to be able to see the second time through with, with both pitchers, um, it, I don't know. I mean, um, cause you could argue, you know, if your starter seeing the third time through that there's a huge penalty there, but I think ideally your starter isn't really seeing the third time through the order very much. And then you're, you know, throwing a, um, a collection of, of relievers at them. So I don't know. That's a good question. And I, um, I wonder if you do see them that out of a, a progr- progressive team eventually, but um, I also think it's it's kind of hard to um, I think it's kind of hard to 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 manage the workload of pitchers that you use them in uncon- unconventional ways. So, like if you think about Chris Davinsky, I don't know if you remember his time with the Astros when. Um, he was a really good like fireman and they used him a lot. And then he just wasn't as good. And I don't know if that was because, I mean, he, he isn't much of a command guy, but uh, I, you know, maybe guys picked up on him um, or maybe, you know, his arm just tired out from pitching multi inning, like outings a lot. And that's not something that pitchers have ever really done. So, I mean, like I said, it's all a really inexact science, but we do have, you know, a large sample of at least like guys who pitch every five days and go so many innings up to, you know, about 100 pitches. Um, So that's an interesting question. I, I might ask around about that because I'm not, I'm not this. I'm I'm not a genius. I'm not the smartest. Um, yeah, I think that for the Mariners as a team, they're a little bit averse to using long relief pitchers in general. I don't know if that's coming from Jerry and it's like a top down thing, or if it's just how Scott prefers to use his bullpens. But they just don't. Other than like Darren McCacken going out for four innings when they absolutely need innings, and you know somebody to kind of soak that up. They don't tend to use long relief pitchers in competitive situations, which is to say if the game is 4-4 in the fourth inning and they got to pull Logan Gilbert, they're going to throw out a reliever every inning. You know what I mean? Like, that's just how they Mm -hmm. do it. They're not interested in having a guy who's there to soak up three or four innings. Um, They did some of that with two innings here and there with Graveman and with, you know, with Seawall will occasionally get like six batters, but it's just not that common of a thing for them. Um... And it is, it's definitely a club trait because other teams do it. And I'm not sure if it's because 
of the roster construction and the fact that they feel like their relief pitchers are really specialists and they feel like their starters are purely starters or what. But it, it is an interesting thing that I just find their they're starting to relief pitcher like rotation to be a little strange. Yeah. But let's pivot that to we have some new guys um in the bullpen in particular. Why don't we start with Diego Castillo? Because he's really, really interesting. He's pretty good. And we traded him for a guy that you liked a lot, which was uh, Chargois. So when I saw that trade, I was excited because Castillo is good. But I was sad because Chargois feels like such a diamond in the rough. And the Rays obviously are such a good organization that it worries me that they wanted him. Um, and you really like Chargois. So can you kind of let us know what you think about Castillo and whether or not you feel like that was a good trade and what maybe the Rays see in Chargois? So. Um, I think what the race see is uh, an opportunity to not pay an elite-ish reliever in arbitration. I think that's what it is at the end of the day. Um, they are getting Chagua, who is sort of, you know, a, a lesser version of Diego Castillo. Um, Diego Castillo throws his his slider exactly 70% of the time. Uh, Chagua throws his 69% of the time. So basically the same. They're really, really similar guys in that, um, like, Chagua isn't much of a spin guy. Um, Castillo's actually kind of like an anti-spin guy. He, you know, his pitches don't, he doesn't get much spin on them. They sink a lot. Um, so I think it's really the the Rays being the Rays being cheap and turning. I mean, they did well in that they turned Castillo into kind of the poor man's version of Castillo. Um, but at the end of the day, like Castillo is a significantly better. Well, just, you know, like he's more reliable across the board. He is just a step above Chagua. Um, and he's also 27. And like he's not going to be that expensive in arbitration. Um, so maybe you could argue that they're trying to get ahead of the curve and they're worried about his his velo dropping because he was throwing 98 in 2019. That dropped to 96. And now it's a little below 96. Um, it's like 95 even with a sinker. Um, so I don't tend to think that's the issue. I, I think it's just the Rays being cheap. Um, and, you know, as for Austin Shenton, I'm not very high on him. I think some people at Lookout Landing are. But um, at the end of the day, just it's just the Rays being frugal. Of disappointing to hear honestly because i was hoping that they were gonna really see something in chargois that they liked i agree with you that they're being cheap i think too that like you said they're not that different in terms of performance this year castillo is probably a little better but chargois certainly has a much shorter track record um you know he's really only been good this year and right now and before that he's been marginal um and obviously the contract differences castillo will be here next year chargois would not so all of that's interesting. It, it is a little weird in the context that the Rays are in it much more than the Mariners are. And so them choosing a guy who is seemingly worse 
um, even with the money included is a little weird to me. But, you know, again, there are the Rays. They do operate on an entirely different financial scale than most of the rest of the league. Um, let me ask you this. So where does Diego sit kind of right now in our bullpen? Because there was all this turmoil this week about, you know, Kendall Graveman is such an important player, which I very much disagreed with. Um, I w- am of the opinion that at the time he was traded, Kendall Graveman was our fourth best reliever. And depending on how you feel about Casey Sadler coming back, you know, maybe even five. So where does Diego Castillo kind of slide in? Is he our new closer? Is he our new fireman? Um, do you expect him to get the higher leverage situations going forward? What can we kind of expect from him? Um, I think he essentially slots into Graveman's role, um, which, you know, was a little bit fluid. They have used Seawald and Graveman both in fireman type roles. Uh, but I think Seawald was and is, you know, kind of the the true fireman. Um, obviously, yeah, it depends on matchups. It depends on leverage. It depends on how much they've pitched in you know the past couple of days whatever but i think in a vacuum seawald is going to be getting um the bulk of the you know like seventh eighth whatever inning uh high leverage situations and diego castillo will look more like your traditional closer um but I don't think that the Mariners will be, you know, afraid to use Castillo, you know, maybe in the sixth inning or seventh inning or whatever, if the game is close. Um, I will say I I do still think that uh, Graveman was our second best reliever before he left. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you've seen, but. Um, after the sicky stuff, uh, ban, his stuff had deteriorated, deteriorated a little bit. Um, I don't know whether that has to do with, you know, actual foreign substances or if it has to do with him being off for a while because of COVID. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both, Mm -hmm. but, um, I still, you know, really, really liked, you know, what, what Graveman brought to the table and, and thought he fit in well as a guy to close games. Um, and it looked like he was coming back into form. So I don't know. I am really sad to see him go because he was a guy that I was really excited about when we signed him. I was really excited about him when, you know, he started throwing really hard as a starter. I was really excited when we moved him to the bullpen and he started throwing even harder. Um, he's just been a guy that I've been fascinated with ever since he started throwing a really hard sinker. And like, I think it was 2018. Um, so I'm sad to see him go, but you know, one thing is that he is not vaccinated. And despite obviously being a good clubhouse guy, uh, that puts his teammates in danger, Mm -hmm. you know? So especially, you know, during a time when the Delta variant's going around and um, is affecting people who are even vaccinated. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty troublesome. So um, I'm, I'm pretty mixed about it. And I, I, I do think that the optics were, were really bad. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Castillo is probably going to be, uh, you know, liked just as much with, the team and he's also going to be um 
better and for hopefully longer. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a it's a good, you know, it's a good um, swap for the Mariners at the end of the day. Yeah, I would agree and echo all of that. Do you actually listen to the Lookout Landing podcast? We were wondering aloud whether or not you listened to it yesterday. <laughs> um, sometimes I actually haven't listened to the last like several, but I should. Um, is it? It's not on Spotify. Right? I don't think so. It goes through Megaphone, so I don't think. I think Spotify is one of the only places it's not. It, sh- it should be. But we were Doesn't talking. Make sense. We were talking yesterday about this same thing, and part of the reason why I'm going to be brief on Graveman is because I I went at length on him yesterday, and I don't have much to add to that other than to say that I think that the unvaccinated thing, as much as people don't want to kind of tie this into the equation, you're right with the Delta variant going on, with him continuing to not be vaccinated, he's a liability to the team. And I agree with you, the sticky stuff probably matters. But when you look at his performance, he put up something like one war before he went on the COVID IL. It was Mm -hmm. like incredible. And he put up basically like 0.1 or 0.2 war since in Mm -hmm. much more time. So the reality is, is that he was incredible and exceptional. He got COVID, he went on the IL and he came back almost an entirely different player. And Mm -hmm. he's not the only athlete across all sports that has had this happen. And, you know, I agree with you that on, on paper, he was the team's second best reliever by, you know, by a lot of metrics and he definitely has the best stuff. Um, and I think that's partially why he's so intriguing to people like you, to people like me, to the analytical community is because, you know, his stuff is just really good. He throws really hard. He has, you know, a lot of movement on his pitches. He's a pretty, you can see it. You know what I mean? It's not unlike sort of James Paxton. When I watch him pitch, I'm like, this guy, when he's on is going to be so good. Um, Mm -hmm. but he's also Graveman, he's been injured. He's had, you know, the neck tumor, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. Um, he just kind of hasn't managed to manifest it with either in his time with, um, the Astros, I believe not, not where was he before he was with Oakland, right? Yeah. So either with Oakland or with the Mariners, he hasn't been able to stay on the field and manifest it in kind of the way that the team wanted him to. And I think that that matters too, because they are going into this little push. They are pushing for the future. And if they can't count on him, be it because of performance or because of COVID or because of injury, um, he's really only played like 25% of the time he's been here so far. So I don't think that was as big a loss as the narrative kind of spun around it makes it seem. I think that Toro is a much more interesting return than a lot of people want to give him credit for, even if in the moment it was pretty much a bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm happy with how this turned out. And I think that... For as much shade as the team got, as was directed at them for how this all went down, I don't think it was as big a deal as perhaps we thought it was on Tuesday or whatever. People um, were so mad. <laughs> for those who listen to us, the Slack that we're in, um, the Lookout Landing Slack, was in quite a bit of despair this week because of that. And I understand I, why. I mean, I had to go to bat for Torah, but just because, like, uh, man, it was probably a year or two ago. I remember. One of the you know baseball podcasts I listen to the most is Rates and Barrels, and even though I've stepped outside of the fantasy baseball kind of space because I think it's toxic and <laughs> whatever, gambling, um, yeah, um, Eno and 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 Derek Van Riper they used to have um, a prospect of the week and and beer of the week. I I, I miss that, um, but one of theirs 
a long time ago. I think it was it was probably it might have been two years ago. Was Abraham Toro, and ever since then, um, Eno's been pretty high on him, and and a lot of analysts have been speculating that you know like this is a year, and yeah, like people have been saying it for a while now, but he's twenty four, and um, I think twenty six is kind of the the sweet spot for a lot of um players. So, I mean, once he once he makes better contact, which you know is obviously like kind of a silly thing to say. It's like, oh, like once this once this pitcher throws more strikes or you know whatever. Um, but I don't I don't think he's more than a tweak away from really being, you know, like a Mitch Haniger esque hitter. That's pretty big praise, a Mitch Haniger esque hitter. Um. I should point out that he's not gotten many plate appearances. He's only has he has under 300 plate appearances in the majors, um, essentially. So it, it looks like 319, but that's a bit scattered. So he got like 100 plate appearances in 2019 and in 2020, and he's already had more than that this year. So when we talk about guys being you know 24, peaking at 26, 28, whatever, um, he just really has been blocked. You know, he's been blocked in Houston and he's going to get playing time in Seattle and whatever he's going to be, we're going to find out. And his WRC plus is up seven points since yesterday. Um, and he's already been pretty good for the Mariners. So uh, early returns are really, really promising. But um, the Mariners picked up another player off of, uh, he was a free agent. I think he declined his, uh, his assignment with New York. Um, I'm totally going to botch this name again. I practiced it. Asher, Do you want me to say it? <laughs> <laughs> please, please say it. I believe it's Wojcikowski. Wojcikowski. Okay. Um, I don't know that much about him. I looked him up briefly. It seems like there are some interesting underlying statistics. Um, obviously, the Yankees were interested in him, but he just kind of hasn't panned out for them. What do you think the Mariners see in him? And what do you think his role with us could be? Because I had a hard time imagining, other than maybe replacing like McCacken, where he's going to fit in on the squad. Um, I think the Mariners essentially see innings, um, depth. If Gilbert is to go down or, you know, any pitcher, what, you know, whoever it may be, um, I think it's pretty much purely just depth. Um, I will say his fastball has always been very, very, very bad. Um, but I think there is kind of a route to being, you know, somewhat not even necessarily interesting, but, um, to be serviceable, um, because he's been pretty mediocre over his career. Um, but he has flashed. So I think if he were to throw the cutter and slider more, feature them you know, pretty heavily and, and really be able to limit how much he's throwing his fastball, um, I think he could be pretty interesting because <laughs> he throws his fastball 91 miles per hour and it's just a pretty unexceptional pitch. It's kind of in that dead zone where like it doesn't get a ton of sink, but it also doesn't get a ton of ride. It's kind of straight. It's just a bad pitch. So, um, you know, maybe going like cutter, slider, and, and bringing his curveball back or, or something. Um, 
maybe the Mariners have something in in you know in mind for him. I, I kind of doubt it, but like with Chagua, um, I remember Kate saying that Kate Prusser, that is, saying um she saw some quote from him where I believe Jen Mueller was like, when did you figure out that like the, your slider was, was, you know, a big weapon for you? And he was like, uh, I didn't, the Mariners told me to throw it more. So I did. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, he saw a huge uptick in, in his slider. So maybe it's kind of the same thing with Wojciechowski. Um, but maybe it's not, maybe it's, it's just a pure depth signing, but, um, you know, I, I will say that that does make me feel better about the Mariners. Like sometimes they make signings. I'm like, yeah, maybe they see this in the sky, like the same thing that I see, or maybe, maybe they don't because a lot of times I see changes that guys should make and they don't make those changes. And it's like, well, you know, we're supposed to be a good player development kind of system, you know, more so at the minor league level than major league. But it's these aren't hard fixes. It's, you know, spam your curveball, your slider or stop throwing this pitch or or throw it here. And, um, you know, maybe it's guys being um, kind of stubborn or maybe, you know, the Mariners aren't as smart as we sometimes give them credit for. But um, I think the, the Chagua kind of uh, pitch usage tweak did make me feel better about how, how we help um, pitchers, you know, weaponize their, their pitches. I agree. And when I hear quotes like that, I think that it makes me feel really good about the Mariners as a pitching organization that they are, looking for tweaks, looking for, you know, how to change a guy's profile to get some extra value out of him. I feel like they have done that with some of the guys on the team. Um, I think that sometimes some of the things you suggest are tweaks that guys can make that aren't a big deal, but that might require downtime. You know what I mean? Like in particular with Sheffield, when it comes to like changing his pitch mix or going back to something he threw last year, he might want like a month off to go do that and like, you know, get back in the get back in the rhythm of throwing a certain pitch. Um, we saw this when Taiwan Walker was traded the first time with Seattle. Um, you know, they changed up his mechanics and his, his pitch mix. And he, I want to say he started throwing something differently, um, but they had him do it on the fly. And so he had a couple of really rough outings where it was, you know, he kind of got shelled a little bit and he did eventually figure it out. But that transition in the interim can be rough at the major league level. And I totally, I love all of your suggestions, but sometimes my thought is like the pitcher probably doesn't want to do that. If it's gonna, you know, if it's going to affect their performance, I feel like that was Sheffield in particular again. Um, like, yeah, it, it just seems like whatever he's going to have to fix is going to be an off season thing, which is part of the reason why I'm <clears> a little <throat> skeptical of him coming back this year and being meaningfully good, so to speak. Um, yeah, and I, I I do think it depends on you know the tweak. Like, um, <clears throat> I think with Kikuchi, it's it's you know throw your slider more, and he has done that, so we know he's capable of it. Um, maybe he just doesn't have command of it. Like maybe he just can't get it below the zone. Um, but yeah, as a pitcher, it's you only have so much time to prepare 
between starts. And most guys want to use that to refine, you know, their their pitches and, um, you know, just make sure that they're working on with what they've got. And if they can't even do that, then, yeah, most guys aren't going to be adding new pitches or trying to tweak a pitch and turn it into something else or whatever. Um, and it's much easier said than done to be able to say something like, you know, elevate your fastball more or you know, whatever. Um, some guys just can't do it. Like some guy, especially if you throw from a low slot, uh, like, you know, maybe Andrew Heaney. Um, sometimes guys just have a lot of trouble doing that. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree that, um, a lot of these suggestions are, are couched with, you know, saying, maybe this is an off-season fix or whatever. But um, yeah, I think that's certainly important to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And pitchers are, you know, I I said creatures of habit. And when guys have success, they want to stick with what they feel works. And when they struggle, especially when implementing changes, they want to go back to what worked before. Um, You've seen that a lot with Mariners pitchers. I think you see a little bit of that with guys like Marco even. Um, But I really want to ask you actually about Marco because there's kind of a disparity of opinions on him. I think there's some despair. I've actually come around watching him the last couple of times out to thinking he has looked a tiny bit better. There are still those on the staff. I, I believe you are one of them who thinks he might be dealing with a little bit of the injury lag still. Um, my opinion is that command and control are the last things to come back after an injury. So even though his velocity has looked mostly like it did last year, you know, kind of the the walks and stuff are indicative of him being 90% or, you know, 95% and not getting that extra sharpness to, you know, really be the same guy. Um, I have some optimism that he can still be that guy. His, you know, again, the stuff is not like super degraded just yet, as I feared it would have been earlier this year. Um, But where do you stand on Marco? Are you optimistic he's going to be the guy we need going down the stretch? Or are we going to have Tyler Anderson soaking up some of those innings too? Yeah, um... I think, you know, he's gotten better over time, but he is someone who has plus or plus plus command. Um, and he just hasn't had that. Um, I am really worried because uh, two things that can make a profile like Marco's work are command and a deep pitch mix like the ability to throw a lot of pitches and um locate them uh, can help you kind of outperform your peripherals and he's a guy that often has outperformed his peripherals um but he just hasn't been able to spot his pitches like he has in the past and um i think that's that's been obviously a detriment to him so you know i am worried about how um how he's able to do that moving forward um, because he just hasn't looked right. And even in the games that he's looked better, he hasn't really looked the same. Um, I don't know his, uh, his arm slots dropping. So maybe that's a good thing. Like since he's been back, it's uh, it's dropped or maybe, maybe he's hurt. Um, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I am not expecting the 2020 Marco, um, 
or 2019, Marco, for really the rest of the year. But I guess we'll kind of wait and see. I noticed something interesting his last start. Actually, I didn't notice it. Dave Sims noticed it, and I'm just reiterating it. <laughs> but um, did the Roenis Elias thing where he switched his arm slot during one of the at-bats, and he threw like basically not entirely sidearm, but much more so than he usually does um, uh-huh. for a strikeout. When I see pitchers like Marco doing that, it indicates to me that they are trying to add deception because guys are teeing off of them. And on the one hand, maybe it's a good thing, you know, adding a new trick to the bag, so to speak. But when guys are reaching for those kind of solutions because their pitches aren't cutting it, I have a hard time not seeing that as a pretty bad thing. Um, I don't know if you caught him doing that, but how would you assess that? Um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen him do that before. And I, I was going into, you know, his number or like his kind of pitch plots and, and seeing if that's something that he had done before. And it didn't seem especially unique to me. Um, I feel like it's something that he has done before and maybe it was just something that um dave sims noticed um but i could be wrong uh i don't know i'm looking right now and like mm, i don't know yeah he's he's kind of done it before um maybe maybe he started to do it with other pitches but honestly i'm not 100 percent sure um if that is the case then yeah that is I mean, it's a little bit worrisome, but also like Clayton Kershaw um, toyed with it like three years ago. I don't know that he does it all that much, but like Rich Hill also does it. Um, So it's not always troubling, but also all those guys are guys who are elite when they're on the mound. (laughs) Yeah. And Marco isn't necessarily. So... um, yeah, it's something I'll keep an eye out for, but uh, not something that, well, I guess I can, I don't know. While you talk, I'll um, I'll go look at like Brooks Baseball and see if there's any particular pitch where, where he is doing it. Yeah, I apologize. I don't know specifically when it was. It was just during, I believe, uh, the, series, the, the Oakland series. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, when guys are doing it and it's part of their regular repertoire and they're having success, you, you consider it a good thing. Um, the timing with Marco makes me think that he's, he's reaching for something else to get out. Um, and when I've watched him pitch guys, just see the ball out of his hand pretty well. You know what I mean? Like even if he's not giving Mm -hmm. up hard contacts, he's giving up a lot of foul balls. Um, you know, a lot of fly balls just kind of, whatever deception there was in, in terms of like the, the separation between pitches seems to be gone. So whatever he's throwing guys are seeing and hitting and making it difficult for him to get out of innings quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. so who knows? I think that Marco's tough because he's one of our favorite Mariners. He's one of the staff's favorite Mariners. He's such a leader on the team. He's signed for a while, you know, like he's not really expensive in any case, but, um, he is kind of like as much of a cornerstone as we have on this team to some degree. And it is a little concerning that he's reaching for new tricks because we need him. You know what I mean? Like we mm-hmm. Tyler Anderson is good, but we really could use a guy who has higher upside than 
Flexen and Anderson and just whoever else is going to be taking some of those spots. So it's something for us to monitor. Um, and I really like your analysis of Marco, you and Andy in particular, um, just have a lot to say about him and kind of the way he goes about it. And so I'm excited to see how he looks going forward, even if it's uh, mm-hmm. not as good as I would hope it would be. But let me ask you this. So a lot of the questions we got yesterday on the Lookout Landing pod were, have the Mariners gotten better at this trade deadline? Do you think that they have improved their competitive prospects for this season in particular? Because we all know that Toro is going to be here going forward. We know that Castillo is going to be here going forward. But for this year, for this particular run with this squad, do you feel like they have gotten better? Um, I think so. Um, I will say that other teams have also gotten better. So that's kind of an issue, obviously. Um, But like the way that I see it, they uh, improved, you know, with, um, uh, you know, in their in their bullpen. Um, I think I think Castillo is probably a little bit of a step up from Braveman. I think it helps to get rid of Montero, even though he was out of the pen. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Smith might be helpful. He hasn't been very good this season, but like maybe he is. Um, to have Toro, who can give you, you know, just more quality at bats than Shed Long will, like, you know, to steal at bats from him and give you a little bit of flexibility with other guys who can move around the, the diamond too. Um, I think that is really helpful, but um, at the end of the day, I don't know how great their chances were. Like right now, playoff odds are three point one percent, whereas like Oakland's is forty nine percent. Not very so, close. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I said last week, like things can change really quickly, and the Mariners are only two and a half games back. So, um, I don't know if you look at like five thirty-eight, like they'll give the Mariners better odds, but they're still only like 10%. Um, so I mean, I, I think that they did their best, um, in terms of giving their team a shot, uh, you know, for this postseason, but also making them better in the future. And really that's what DePoto said, that he was planning on doing. So yeah, it's disappointing that they didn't go out and get like Barrios or uh, I don't know, Trey Turner or Jose Ramirez, but also like Barrios, he kind of like for the Blue Jays to give up um, Woods Richardson and Austin Martin, like not an insignificant package. Uh, and I wouldn't want to have seen wanted to have seen the Mariners match that. Um, although I have gone on the record saying I probably would have traded Emerson Hancock for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the team is legitimately better. Um, I mean, that's nothing. And I didn't even say anything about, you know, Tyler Anderson, um, who hopefully, you know, is going to help kind of buoy the rotation or solidify it, um, especially if he can raise his arm slot and get some of that fastball ride back. Um yeah, this is a better team, and I think as I've seen Joe Doyle say, as I've seen other people say, 
it really none of this will matter if we don't like spend a little bit this offseason or do something this offseason. So um I guess you know we'll have to wait and see for that. But for the meantime, you know, our our team is better. I agree. Um I would ask you this though, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday as well. Would you have if you could do anything would you have taken any of the trades that other teams made with equivalent mariners prospects because my answer to that question was no and just looking at the mariners their prospects their farm system they do have some expendable guys frankly in my opinion and i think that they traded one of the expendable guys in shenton so they did do something on that front but when i looked at the prices for scherzer for turner for you know maybe even marquez whatever they're asking it just felt like they wanted so much future value for some of these these immediate upgrades. And I don't feel comfortable with the Mariners having paid any of those prices, and I'm glad they didn't. Is there any particular trade that you wish the Mariners would have done? You know, you mentioned like Berrios, um, but was there anybody else where you, you would have taken one of the guys out of our top 10, top 8 um, in exchange for that? Um, yeah, I think... I think Andrew Heaney, they the they gave up nothing. The Yankees gave up nothing to get him, and he wasn't even he's not even a good fit in Yankee Stadium. Like he has a home run problem problem now. I think I've said that you know it's kind of going to be Jameson Tyone two point where he has a good K minus walk percentage, but he's going to give up so many home runs at home that it might kind of you know wash out. Um, so I think. Yeah, uh, trades like that. Um, Hansel Robles, the Red Sox got for nothing. Um, the Giants didn't have to give up much for Tony Watson. And, you know, these are relievers, but um, I, I think a lot of the trades, like, again, Joe Doyle has said many times, um, prospects have never... I mean, maybe not never, but at least in the past like 10 years, they haven't been worth as much as they've been worth lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mariners are, you know, better than most when it comes to how much, how, I guess, the, the their system and, and the, the level of prospects they have and the volume. Um, so, yeah, I think like Chris Bryant would have really helped. Um, I don't see the Mariners making trades like that. But yeah, I think there are a fair amount of, um, of deals that I would have liked to, to see the Mariners do. Uh, the, I think the two that I wouldn't want to see are the Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell trade and, um, the burials trade. But, mm-hmm. uh, there is a cool little, uh, Twitter account called at baseball values. And they actually go through and, um, you know, kind of assign median trade values to players and see, you know, who is overpaying. Um, and like, you know, like according to them, Jose Barrios and Austin Martin are equal um, in trade value. So they overpaid by like 22 million by this model, which, <laughs> uh, you know, is, uh, I think that trade's been a little bit divisive. Um, but yeah, I would, I would have liked to have seen 
some of these trades because it's i mean you you have to wonder what was being asked for like what prospects uh people were asking the mariners for Mm -hmm. um because i'm sure it wasn't shed long and (laughs) um jake fraley no no way um I agree with all of that. It sounds like kind of you're of the mind that you would have been pro if the Mariners doing more stuff kind of like they did. You know what I mean? Like Watson in particular to me is similar to like the the Castillo trade as far as, you know, get what they gave up for it versus what they got in return and kind of the timeline on it. Um, Joe is right about everything all the time. And the longer I spend in the slack, the more I find myself agreeing with him and feeling good about my opinions. Because if I agree with whatever Joe said before he said it, I'm on the right track mentally is a good way to gauge it. Um, And he's right. The prospect value is a little bit disproportionate these days. What I see happening is that prospects are being monetized like they are realized players, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better explanation. And when we talk about like, you know, you said the Berrios trade, um, that's treating prospects like they are worth the value of a major league player without any of that actual performance in the big leagues. And that does matter. And I think that there's risk, you know, prospects flame out and prospects get hurt. And even when we're talking about the Mariners, um, you know, everyone's talking about Hancock and Kirby as much as I wouldn't hate trading those guys necessarily. They haven't played a ton this year at all. Um, mm-hmm. like at all. And, uh, they've both had shoulder issues is my understanding. I know that Hancock had shoulder soreness and was shut down and just pitched a couple days ago for the first time in a month. And Kirby still has not pitched in like six weeks because of the same. So just the prospect values are a little out of whack these days. And when I heard, uh, you know, maybe the twins wanted like Marte and Hancock, that feels disproportionate to me, but Mm -hmm. they should be asking for Hancock or Marte or, you know, somebody really good because no matter what they're worth on the baseball America top 100, they haven't played a day in the majors and so much can go wrong. And so much has already gone wrong in the development. In some cases, like I said, you know, they haven't pitched. They basically haven't pitched in two years that, you know, George Kirby's thrown like 30 innings um, since he was drafted. So there are a lot of variables here, but I think it's interesting to look at how the market has shaken out and where the Mariners are. I would describe their deadline as the most Mariners deadline of all time. Um, and particularly for DePoto that, just the players they traded and the guys they got back, they traded short-term contracts that were expensive for marginal prospects under team control or relief pitchers under team control. That's a DePoto thing to do if there ever was one. Um, and so, you know, at least they stuck to the script and are they better for this year? Maybe like you said, they are behind a lot of teams. Their odds are not great. And what really sucks is that the teams that got better are the ones ahead of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the hard thing is the the teams that are already so good improved a lot. And the teams on the fringes, like the Mariners and the Blue Jays improved slightly, but also very obviously need things to coalesce in a specific way for it to matter in terms of the postseason. So it's been a roller coaster week. You know, we probably had the most fun Mariners game in a decade this past week with the Dylan Moore Grand Slam. Um, just the highs from that combined with the lows of the, the Graveman trade and then Jerry DePoto, you know, being very public facing with we're going to make more trades, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and then kind of not doing very much. Um, it's just been a tumultuous time in Mariner world. Um, it really has. 
How do you feel mm-hmm. personally about what Jerry said? Because I, I know in the Slack, a lot of it is like, you know, maybe he just shouldn't have said anything. I'm not of the opinion that when he comes out and says, you know, oh, we're looking to make deals or whatever for pitching, that that has much effect on the way things are going in the market. I don't think other GMs are adjusting their strategies based on what he says on 710. What's your read on that? Yeah, I think that was I think that was overblown. Um, I, you know, maybe he did lose a little bit of leverage in trade negotiations, but I, I think if he did, it was probably marginal. Um, and I don't know. I, I just think that there often is a lot of posturing that goes on uh, in the media. And, you know, I guess it was <laughs> the opposite of that. But I, I, I really don't think that in the end that it affected their their deadline plans much and um because they they basically did everything that they should have done they they traded graveman they got someone good back for graveman they fixed their bullpen or readdressed it whatever you want to call it uh and then they added a starter and i wish they would have gone a little deeper but um you know they did all those things um some of the things that Jerry said were just very Jerry DePoto. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, he just said, you know, we're, we weren't willing to meet the prices for short-term guys for prospects that will help us, you know, a lot in the future. Um, but the one that got me was he, when he said... Um, <laughs> Uh, we're not intentionally done. If we're done, it's just because we weren't able to get anything across the finish line. Yeah. But we do have other things going. And I was like, not intentionally done. Like, what a way to phrase that they're probably not going to do anything else. Yeah, that's and they didn't. caging expectations if I've ever heard it. Yeah. Um, and so for a second, I thought maybe that was an attempt to kind of re... Re... Um, take maybe some leverage but i was like no i think this is this is probably just a poto being you know weird um so yeah i, th- I think at the end of the day it, it didn't change much i i think you tweeted that you were like they're done you know like after he said that i think you quote tweeted it and we're like they're done yeah. i read it the same yeah. way i read that as we looked at the prices people wanted and said no and even though there's 12 hours left we're not going to do it like that's really yeah. really what i heard and you know we listen to Jerry a lot. Jerry is not the most public facing GM in all sports, but he's pretty active in terms of talking to the community, being on the radio, doing his little radio show. He gives sound bites more frequently than I think a lot of sports GMs do. And he's pretty, even compared to like with Pete Carroll and some of the other sports stuff going on in Seattle, he's not that cagey. I don't think he's pretty straightforward when he doesn't tell you anything. It's because there isn't much to say. But when there is stuff to say, I find he generally does say a lot, even if you, you know, you have to parse through some of his GM speak to hear it. And I mean, uh, he's the only GM to ever have a podcast with, uh, well, is that to have true? a podcast, you know, in base in baseball, oh, yeah. perhaps. I mean, I know that there are GMs that do that kind of thing in other sports, but yeah, like Jack, I never was never going to do that. No way. Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it, but uh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a pretty cool thing to have it with with Aaron Goldsmith. Although, uh, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of team propaganda and and general manager speak. So, yeah, I don't know how helpful it is, but it is 
you know, cool to see um, how I was going to say transparent, but as as trans- transparent as it's going to be, you know, so they at least do stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the thing with the Zorensic era in particular was that it was like a steel trap. And mm-hmm. when they did tend to say things, it tended to be stupid things. And I don't have like a good <laughs> example, but I remember times where he said stuff and I was just like, you just, you just shouldn't say anything. If you're only going to talk once a mm-hmm. month and you're going to say that kind of thing, like just shut up. But Jerry is talking yeah. all the time and usually doesn't put his foot in his mouth. It's also why I wasn't quite as upset as I think a lot of people were. And the team was when the whole Toro trade came down, the Graveman trade. Because he do- he's talking all the time. You know, I understand them being like, well, he should have come down to the, you know, to the field and said stuff like one. They were still in the middle of the trade deadline. He pulled another trade that afternoon, which I'm sure he was working on at the moment. And two, like they're very open about what they're trying to do with this team. There aren't a whole lot of secrets in terms of that. The secrets for the Mariners are mostly in terms of scouting, like who do, who do they like and what do they look for and what are they trying to but that's not the case with other teams in particular. So I think that that openness is good. I agree with what you said, that it's a little bit team propaganda-y sometimes. But, mm-hmm. you know, part of the goal of it is to personalize them. You know what I mean? They want them to feel like they're accessible to the community, like they are listening, like they are paying attention. And I'd rather have the Wheelhouse podcast than have secrets, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, I'm, you know, I think that's a good thing. And I think... I don't want this to come off like me carrying water for the team or being a fanboy. I have my <laughs> own beast with Jerry DePoto and some of the stuff that he's done in particular. But generally, I think that the public facing way the Mariners operate is mostly pretty good. Um, what, what do you think about that? I realize I'm generalizing a lot here. I mean, in the past, they've been too, too frugal haven't been willing to sign people haven't you know they've made trades where it's like why other than you know saving money why did we do that um so and just the way that you know i get that you have to play the game but the way that him and and the team talk about club control and um other things is is just inherently you know anti-labor um, yeah, that is fair. Anti-player. So I don't know. A lot of it grosses me out now, whereas I used to I used to feel that way, you know, like when, when I was in college and an early analyst and writer. But, um, uh, you know, for the most part, I think he's he has to play the game of the of, you know, the structures in place and also of what the the team allows him to do more importantly. And I think that the team hasn't allowed him to spend money. Um, so although he's kind of a mouthpiece for the owners, um, I think I, I would be highly, highly surprised if the team doesn't do anything um, come, you know, winter. Mm-hmm. And we're all in agreement on that. Um, everyone in the Slack, everyone at LL, just, you know, I'm sure Andy, too, that the Mariners are approaching the most pivotal offseason of the DePoto era. And. As far as we know, he's still unsigned. You know, they haven't extended him or Scott. I'm of the suspicion that they are going to be re-signed and they're not going to tell us. You know, I'm pretty sure the first time they got extended, they didn't let us know for like a year. And so somebody happened to bring it up later and was like, oh, you know, your contract's expiring. And they were like, nope, no, it's not. They extended us a long time ago. 
Um, <laughs> so it's entirely possible that we're just in the dark on that. But I, yeah. I see them sticking around. I don't see an obvious reason for him to leave, so to speak, unless they had somebody else specific they had in mind to bring in. Um, but given the way the team has performed, I think maybe the one caveat to that would be if the team totally tanks from here on out. If, you know, if it anecdotally mm-hmm. looked like the Graveman trade completely collapsed the Mariners, <laughs> that would be a reason why you maybe wouldn't extend him. Um, yeah. But it doesn't appear that that has been the case. And so um, it seems like we're going with this for, for better or worse for now. Um, yeah. And um, I think most of us generally like the way they operate in terms of prospects and who they value, even if we don't like some of, like you said, kind of the, the anti-player mentality with the whole, you know, we're always looking for contract length over salary kind of a mentality that they, they seem to perpetuate. Um, yeah, that's a very macro level look at the Mariners and kind of how we feel about the way that they conduct business, which is a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. it, It is a mixed bag. Um, Anything else for today? We didn't really talk about hitters very much. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about Toro. We talked about the new pitchers coming in. Do you have any hitters that we want to touch on specifically? Um, I mean, not necessarily, but after, after the trade deadline, I'm, I'm much like the games are just going to be more watchable a, because we've made the rotation more complete B because we've lengthened the lineup. Like right now, Jake Bowers is our number nine hitter, but like our number eight hitter is Toro. Um, so if it's like Crawford, Hanniger, Seeger, France, Raleigh, um, Tor- Terenz, Kalnick, Toro, Bowers, that's a much more watchable product. And, you know, that's nothing to say of Dylan Moore, who's on the bench, you know, on roster resource. Um, so once we get Fraley and Lewis back, um, I feel like this is going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I think Fraley should be back on Monday. Lewis should be back maybe maybe early September, late August, it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like late August. Um that's you know, that's that's like a, a pretty decent lineup if you have guys like France who's been hampered by a I think a, a wrist bruise. Um mm-hmm. uh and Kalnick who, you know, tweaked his his um his stance, and I guess that's something that we probably should have talked about. Um, and he, he looks like someone who, you know, was uh, batting like ninety percent below average, and now like maybe he can be a league average hitter or something. So I think there's improvement to be had for some guys, and we should be getting guys back. So um, in a weird way. <laughs> the guys that we trade for aren't the only trade deadline or, or, you know, acquisitions per se, like Kelnick should get better. Toro looks like, you know, he's going to be a big addition, but also it's nice to get Fraley and Lewis back. So we'll see, but you know, they're not the most impact, um, you know, uh, additions, but it'll at least be more watchable. And that's, you know, for this season, that's, a big part of it for me agreed and all the prospects are here and like you said once in particular lewis is back trading jake bauer for kyle lewis in on this lineup is awesome because all of a sudden we're getting to see all the guys we want to see we want to see kelnick we want to see kyle lewis we want to see cal raleigh they're all here um now toro's here and i am 
really excited because I do not love the way Scott manages the outfield. I'm quite outspoken about this in Slack. Um, he always likes to put infielders in the outfield. Yesterday, he did the optimal thing. He put Toro at second base and he put Dylan Moore in left field. That is exactly how we should be positioning them if they're both in the lineup. I was really happy to see that. Um, I think that that will get even better as we have more actual outfielders coming back and we don't need to put Jake Bowers and Shed Long in left and right field, which just drives me insane. Um, just It's just so bad. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just not good, guys. It's not good. Um, but yeah, that's really cool. And uh, I'm excited to see how the rest of the year goes. I was thinking just yesterday... Man, I miss Cal Raleigh. I feel like I haven't seen Cal Raleigh in a while, and it had been two days. So I need my dose mm-hmm. of Cal Raleigh. I am. <laughs> he's playing well. And, you know, that's the thing is a couple of these guys, the young guys look like they're turning it on a little bit. Why don't we end with Kelnick? Why don't we give him just a, a couple of minutes here? Um, I know that you wanted to write him up for the site, so you don't have to give us, like, all the details. But he does look like he's changed his swing stance a little bit. Um, he's a little more upright. And the early returns have been good. I know you've dug into it a little more. How does he look? So, yeah, he um, had this little um, very crouchy stance where he had this little rock, like a little baby rock with his shoulders and his hands. Uh, And it wasn't working for him. And I actually saw a thread that um, a Mariners fan posted, a, a guy that I follow, and was essentially saying that he thought that he... And I, I should give credit. Um, I'm going to go back and try and find that. But um, he thought that the reason why Kelnick made that adjustment in the first place was because in the Mariners alternate site, they had a lot of, you know, the side army um, vertical approach angle type guys. Mm-hmm. And so it was essentially a way to kind of level um, his eyes and kind of get them on the path of the ball and and sort of to try and cheat and get to more fastballs. But in doing so, um, you know, Kelnick said that like where his eyes were on like low breaking balls, he just like wasn't able to see them well. Um, so I think part of it is, is, is just like his eye, like he wasn't, he wasn't seeing the pitches well. So he went and he um, just went back to his old stance where uh, he is much more upright and he, um, is still maybe a little more open. Um, and he has a lot more movement in his hands. And I think now, um, he's got much better rhythm, much better timing. I think that's, that's a big part of it. And I think the other part is that, yeah, he is just where his head and his posture is when, um, you know, the ball is coming out. I think he is in much better position um, to hit the ball. So, um, you know, maybe there is a little bit of, of confirmation bias that you, for lack of a better term, bias yourself towards when you're looking at these kinds of things. But I, I do think that um, his timing and, and his rhythm is much better. Um, you know, his... And I'll take a deeper look, you know, uh, pretty soon. But uh, I think he's able to see the ball better. And the results have been pretty instant. So I'm excited to see um, what happens with that. And um, I'm trying to find 
this name so I can give credit credit to um, the guy who said that, uh, you know, his kind of rationale for why he made um, that adjustment. Uh, also, I guess as a last note, he also uh, mentioned that, I don't know if you know what vertical um, vertical bat angle is, uh, but he said that that changed when Kelnick uh, switched to the new stance too. So essentially what you want to see for hitters is uh, a steepening of the bat angle. Um, you know, like at contact, like is their bat flat? Or is it, you know, pretty steep? And like, is it like, um, I guess, diagonal to the ground? Um, and that got less steep after he made the change. Um, the, let's see, I believe the name is, uh, so it's T-I-E-R-A-N-7-1-1. Uh, he's the one that made that. Um, thread, but I don't know how he has access to um, uh, vertical bat angle, VBA. He might have just been measuring himself, but um, yeah, he said that he dropped to 27 um, degrees after being at 32 degrees in 2019. So Hmm. that's really going to affect contact quality. So I think think there's a lot here. Interesting. I think it's good that our best prospect is making adjustments too. And that's not any kind of like, you know, an insight. It's just a reality that everyone watching him has understood that he needed to make a change that he was, you know, he was going to bat under a hundred given the way things were going and was, and um, the change paying off is good because, you know, Scott service and Jerry are going to be the first to tell you it's a game of adjustments and this is his first adjustment. And so far so good. There will be more. I'm sure um, we're not seeing Jared's final form. I'm a hundred percent sure of that, but between yesterday and the last couple of days, um, I think he had like three line outs yesterday or, you know, three hard hit balls, like around a hundred miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So there was, like you said, the results are instantaneous and good. So um, if he's looking more like Jared Kelnick is supposed to look like, I have no complaints and I'm glad to see that he is making that adjustment. I also really liked the quote he said, you know, you kind of mentioned some of it about, you know, being too crouched down, but he also was pretty candid about, I've never struggled before and I'm struggling and it's hard to struggle at the major league level. And for a guy who I think some of us had pegged coming into this year as not a malcontent, that's the wrong way to put it, but maybe a little bit immature. And he is 21, man. Like if I was 21 and had his money and like, his physical ability, I would be a menace to society. Let me tell you right now. Like I would be, <laughs> I'd be bad news guys. I'd be crashing Tesla's and getting into trouble. But, um, he just seems like this season has humbled him and matured him and he has taken it in stride. And yeah, he got knocked down. They sent him back to Tacoma and I, <laughs> I know he didn't like it. Like I'm a hundred percent sure you can, I just know it. I know that that struggle, those first hundred plate appearances were not fun for him. But if we're going to be a good team and he's going to be our best player and the superstar that we want him to be, uh, he needed to grow. And I very much believe that he has grown in some substantial ways, even if it's not manifesting in a seven win player just yet. Um, yeah. Again, he's, he's 21. 
he's 21 years old. What, what does anybody do when they're 21? You know, you go to the bar, you hang out with your friends, you're in college. He is trying to be the MVP of the league at 21. And if he's not there yet, um, there's still very little precedent for people as young as him being in the league, not being superstars. Like the, if you're in the league and you're 19, 20, 21, the odds that you are a way, way above average player are very, very high. So there's no reason to be down on anything we've seen just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to add today, Mikey? I think this was a good episode. Yeah, I think so too. Um, no, not really. I'm just excited to see, you know, some some better baseball because we've seen some 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 pretty rough baseball uh, at, at points during the season. So I think we should be a, a much more complete team. I'm excited. Agreed. Well, I'm Evan, and you can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Mikey at DisThyMikey. Um, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen or stream. Additionally, please support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash neversunnyinseattle. Um, thank you for listening. Go Mariners, and we're excited to see how these guys continue to play. <laughs>